The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Provoke Podcast. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, the EMEA editor at Provoke, and I'm joined here in the UK today by Katie Howell, who's chief exec of social media agency Immediate Future. And I've wanted to chat with Katie for a few weeks and hear from her ever since she posted a really passionate and personal video on LinkedIn right at the start of the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, Katie, welcome to the podcast. Hi. First of all, how are you? How's lockdown been? Oh, the big question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A roller coaster, um, I would say. There have been some absolutely amazing moments in it and um, some really quite crappy ones as well. Yeah, it's been it's been like that for everybody, hasn't it? It's like yeah. even within one day, there's like I'm fine this hour. Very, <laughs> <It's gonna be laughs> up and down. Anyway, and um, I was really affected by your video when I watched it, talking about how agencies in the creative industries can um, move beyond words to action around supporting people of color through a really intense time um, uh, and onwards. In fact, what kind of reactions did you get? I was a bit overwhelmed, I'll be really honest with you. It's um, a huge number of people viewed it and I got, I started trending and all sorts. It was totally unexpected. Wow. And I would say the vast majority of comments were fairly positive. There were probably a couple that I sort of did that thing that I warn my clients not to do, which is uber focused on them. But what was really interesting is that once I'd been able to digest everything that had happened that week, spend a little bit of time outside of devices and just, you know, looking at the real world, Mm. I kind of left the whole uh, scenario of that week of posting that out and being so vulnerable in a really positive way. There was an enormous amount of hope in the responses that I got where people were trying to change or trying to express themselves Mm. or trying to move things forward whatever in whatever way they could and that I thought was much more interesting than calling out and apportioning blame it was it was a really interesting journey for me personally what have um what have you been up to since the since the video came out has it led to any kind of interesting discussions work-wise I think it's probably fallen into three categories. There's been uh, a little bit more interest from the press, which has been useful. There have been conversations with clients where I have talked about a more ethical procurement process. Um, And I think there's also been something really interesting, which is that a lot of people reached out to me for a chat, which sounds terrible when you're trying to run an agency, but actually (laughs) it's been really, it's been really nice. And I have spoken to a lot of mostly women, but but some men, mostly women, either of colour or not, who are trying to change the world and who just wanted to to reach out to me, A, to be supportive and B, to to seek guidance or 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 just have a chat chew chew over things i think mm. is probably a better way of putting it and do, do you find that supportive or did that also feel a bit overwhelming like, and and like you had too much responsibility uh, see i'm an old lady so i ducked out of responsibility <laughs> big quite quickly <laughs> i must learn to do that see <laughs> 
So I made it really clear that I was not the voice of people of colour. Mm. Um, I'm not. Uh, the, the video I put up, if anybody has watched it, is, is, is very much from my heart, my position, and how I was feeling at the time, which I don't normally do, but I was so angry. I had, no, I had to say something. Mm. Um, and um, it was a much more uh, nuanced piece for me. So <clears throat> I've avoided joining every DNI session out there I've, I've joined a few panels and been part of a few groups but i'm i'm stepping back a bit there are voices that need to be heard uh and if i can facilitate those i'm delighted Do, does my voice need to be heard probably not there's better stories to tell um well i'm not sure i'm not sure about that i, I wanted to while we're talking about our own stories i wanted to ask you if it's okay about your own experiences including your experience of systemic racism in the agency world can you share a little bit of that with us absolutely um so i think you have to remember that i am in my 50s now so i entered the workforce in the 80s mm -hmm where forget about systemic racism sexism was kind of fairly loomed fairly large in my life yeah. as well um starting out in sales and then moving into marketing and uh, uh and then into advertising and i would say that ignoring the very obvious stuff that happened early in my career which is very racist and very obvious um I think the challenge I think I had, I, I used to work at DTB and I left. And all I would say is that it's the subtle racism, the racism that has no voice. And this is some of what I tried to explain, which is <clears throat> it's really difficult to go to your HR director and say, I've been excluded from this meeting and I think this is why. Mm. Or I've been excluded from going down the pub or they're all chattering in the corner and I'm not invited. It's not that they, it's just, you're put, I think I put it, you're pushed out of the frame in agencies. You're not part of the in crowd. And it's very difficult because how do you separate that from colour, from being a woman, from being weird and strange? Um, and it's taken me a long while to realise how much of that was that my face didn't fit at all. Um, you say in the video, can you imagine walking into a workplace when, when no one looks like you and where your, your face didn't fit? Can you tell me a bit about the importance from your personal experience of the, the I bit of DNI inclusion, which I think is where the real work starts from what I understand? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's about visibility. All too often, the, the, the biggest challenge with... Um, with DNIs that it's shuffled off into a back room somewhere mm. and the, the, the board of directors think that they've done their job, they've done what's right, um, they've got a group but they don't fund it and nobody gives a damn about it. Uh, and I would say as a young youngster, and this is what I'm interested in, I'm interested in how the world can be different for those coming up behind me. Mm. I, I said I'm an old lady, I run my own agency. I'm batshit crazy. It doesn't really matter anymore <laughs> to me. <laughs> but I'm really keen on leaning back on my ladder and, and hauling the next lot up. And, and I would love it if people who had strange names or had a different colour or a different ethnicity or a different culture were able to be part of the career they wanted to be part of and could contribute. Um, and I think that 
when you're when you enter a room and you are the only person of color two or three things tends to happen one is that you find i find certainly that i try to be as inconspicuous as possible right the second is even in my current profession if i enter that room with a white man it is assumed that the white man runs the agency not me uh, and I've often been told, oh, you work for Mr. Blah, blah, blah. Not quite Mr., but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, um, and, and I'm surprised. I'm like, mm. and I've gotten to that point where I'm just a cheeky old lady. Like, I stop saying I'm an old lady, but you know what I mean? I'm just cheeky now. And I go, yes, I do work for them, even though it's my own business. <laughs> that must be quite frustrating. Uh, yes, but I get my own back because they will find out. <laughs> It is. And it is that subtlety. So I think bottom line is we know role models work. We know it works with women that if you ask women to stand up or young girls to stand up and do a presentation and what's on the walls are pictures of other uh, leader females, they will actually perform better and feel more secure. We know we need to see faces of colour all the way through the spectrum, not just at the junior level, but at the senior level. And what, what impact is that lack of role models? I mean, you talked about the IPA data, which shows that BAME employees in agency, particularly at senior levels, are, are dropping alarmingly rather than growing. What, what do you think this lack of senior role models has on young people from black and ethnic minority backgrounds in terms of how they see PR or marketing as a career? Mm-hmm. That's a good one, because my general view is that most young people today don't see marketing and PR as a career. Um, that sounds like a whole other conversation it is a whole other conversation (laughs) I just don't think they have the respect for our profession which is partly our own doing Mm. Um, but I think we are losing talent and I think if I was there is nothing that invites me right now to join a, a PR or ad agency right now if I was coming up through the ranks so what when people do get up through the ranks what why is that why is that number of senior people um from black and ethnic minority backgrounds dropping do you think rather than going up i mean does that does seem really odd um i I have no empirical data um but i would suggest it's one of two things i think there are an awful lot of people of color who leave Mm. who find it frustrating um because it's not just about being brown or black um, many of us come from different heritages and backgrounds with different perspectives and different views and if those views aren't being heard even if you're the one person on a uh, on a board of directors with with color then your voice may not be being heard and the, and the the the, um, the pressure to be conforming can be quite intense at times mm. um, I think I think possibly that's one. I th- I also think that the industry, in its lack of diversity, also has a lack of culture. It almost it's almost. I mean, it was great in the eighties and nineties, but it's still in the eighties and nineties, <laughs> and we've all kind of moved on a bit since then. Yeah, well, some have and some haven't, Katie. I think that's true to say. You you mentioned earlier that you've been talking about ethical procurement. How, how does that work, and does it make a difference at the diversity bit of DNI? I'm not convinced it'll make a huge difference, but if if we're going, I tell you what, 
if you in my in my in my video i i talked about the things you can do because what i'd like to do is see action mm. and action is driven by two things which is a personal motivation by the heads of those agencies big and small to make a change and make that change pro a proper actionable change um and I think one of the, 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 the frustrations I have is that the, the, the virtue signalling isn't just virtue signalling. It's like, done, dusted, let me throw this away. That's mm -hmm. my part done. And I would like to see uh, categorical change, which means that we have to be more demanding of our clients and our clients need to be more demanding of us. Uh, and then nothing drives change as much as pain does. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the pain of being an, an RFP for a large client who then asks you to um, share your diversity across your board and across your, across your whole company, not just at the junior level, would be really useful, including, of course, gender, not just the whole lot. Mm. I think it's about time clients said, we want to work with agencies that are representative of our audiences. We don't want to work for a, a, a singular homogenous uh, group of people. Mm. Well, there's, there's, you know, the apart from it's the right thing to do. The um, the argument has always been that if you've got a load of, you know, white, privately educated, perfectly lovely people in an agency, they there's absolutely no way that any brand's audience is made up of the agency population. So. <laughs> How can you come up with the best ideas and the things that are going to resonate with audiences if you don't look anything like them? And I also think attract the talent, talent mm. because, you know, our, I mean, I can say this because I have two kids in their 20s, um, but also because I employ a lot of people in their 20s and early 30s, and they have a much greater ethical standpoint about the companies they want to work for. Mm. And, and they are interested in working for companies that behave in an ethical and moral way. Um, and I think we're in danger of losing our best talent because they, regardless of their colour, because they don't want to join a company that isn't representative of the nation. Uh, no, you're probably right. Actually, the, the talent, the talent aspect of this. I mean, you're just agencies are missing out on so much if they don't crack this, aren't they? They are. Um, what have you seen any? And I'm wary of asking you to be the solution to a problem absolutely not of your own making. But have you seen any really kind of creative, sensitive, effective ways of approaching this issue that go well beyond virtue signalling and are really kind of sincere? Um, uh, points of action by agencies to to tackle um the lack of diversity in the industry and worse yes anything but the letter i would say <laughs> um, but uh, that's just me i'm just being cynical um so the two things so there's uh, an agency called john doe who have written an amazing little manif manifesto where they've set themselves targets to achieve mm. in terms of their diversity breakdown which is terrific and they're holding themselves accountable to those which is also terrific um, and there's another agency which is a digital agency called Sagittarius uh, and it's quite interesting I happen to know the owner quite well uh, and his journey through asking um, a board level director but uh, uh, of, of colour and his fear about wanting to ask the questions and then asking those questions they wrote the most 
astonishing kind of LinkedIn post that was really really genuinely heartfelt mm. where this um uh, person of color actually described what had happened to him through his career and then explained how they would change things at their end and i i just i was very touched because for me that it's that moment when you realize that somebody's head has changed the way they think their mindset has changed that you know change will happen what do you think prompts that change, kind of that shift from uh, solidarity, if you like, um, to actually doing something that's going to make a difference? I mean, where does that, where does that, is that just a different moment for everybody? God, that's a big question. <laughs> question. Sorry. Quite late <laughs> in the day, isn't it? Also, it's a huge question. I mean, I, I suspect there's a multiple of motivators that sit behind this. What's been really interesting is those that, have, that I've heard of, and it's only what's come to me, that are more actioning come from independent agencies. Right. Um, it might be that they're closer to the coalface. Mm. It might be that, that you don't see a washed and rinsed press release that comes out that tells you nothing. I don't and, know. It's, it's, it's a challenge. Well, we're, we're, I think we're seeing that too, actually. And that the agencies that I know have really kind of got on it quickly do tend to be smaller independents. And a lot of, the, a lot of that is like, it's kind of driven, both driven from the top down and then kind of demand from the younger members of of the team as you said and they can obviously move faster and go absolutely let's do this like mm. you know let's let's go go for it it's the it's this is what we have to do now so yeah i i'm seeing that a lot too and actually for the bigger networked agencies what what we're seeing mostly is first of all a real it's a real been a real challenge for us getting benchmark diversity data out of the larger holding groups um as you said, so you know, unless you know where you are now and it's all transparent, then there's no way for us to tell if anyone's kind of making good on those commitments and targets. So that's a that's a real challenge at the moment. And the other thing is, everyone seems to be appointing a um, a head of diversity and inclusion at the moment in the in the big groups. Do those sorts of roles make a difference, or does that feel more like lip service to you? Oh, it's lip service. I mean, I've seen it again and again and again. I mean, just to, 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 to hop back to that IPA uh, census, just bear in mind that there was a big push two years ago about gender equality in our industry. Yeah. And yet women are paid 22% less. Still, still. Yeah. I mean, it's like, how many heads of diversity are female? It's like, oh my gosh, I, it drives me mad. And, and I am... The, the big challenge for big agencies is not the process and the size of a big agency. The big challenge is that you have a lot of uh, people at the top who don't want to step aside mm. and they need to step aside. Yeah, there is some sacrifice, some real sacrifice that will bring back equity not equality but equity mm. and equilibrium to agencies and that while those people stay at the top they're unlikely to go oh here have my job <laughs> yeah yeah i'm talking of sacrifice as well and and demanding more of clients and then demanding more of the um agency world there there may well be sacrifices one has to make in the people you're working with as well mm. as as partners so yeah i mean it's like it's all words unless somebody steps aside and you sack a client mm. isn't it i suppose mm. 
um yeah the issue of sacrifice is really is really interesting actually um what so i mean presumably somebody takes on a, a say a black woman takes on a head of diversity inclusion role that is you know the will is there and the and the and the determination is clearly there why doesn't it translate to making a difference in big agencies I personally think it's because it's boxed off. It's like, I've ticked the box, here we are, we've got someone here. But if it isn't funded and if it isn't pushed through by the C-suite, it doesn't happen. So I, you know, it it has to, there's two things in that. The first is just because you're a woman or just because you're a person of colour, it's not your responsibility to change the whole world. And Mm. I have to say, having been in the front line where people keep asking me what they should do, it's quite exhausting it's i don't mean to sound mean but it is kind of exhausting yeah being in that place where it's only my responsibility to tell you what to do and i think that a is one big challenge which is you know just appointing a person of color is not enough um because the racism is systemic the ra- it's about giving it's about fast tracking your junior people of color it's about giving them a voice so that they can go, I've not been invited down the pub and not sound like they're being silly or petty. Mm-hmm. Um, that they, that it, it's, it's a much more integrated activity that should require all the senior leaders to be part of, not shuffled into, into you know, under the cupboard with the internal comms department. That was, you know, that requires... I mean, talking about sacrifice, that also requires really uncomfortable conversations and a lot of openness and a lot of proper listening and empathy. And that's, you know, that that's that that's kind of a difficult thing to artificially create, isn't it, in an agency? That that sense that you're really listening to your team and you're um, and you want to move things on. That can be that 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 you know, people will want to avoid discomfort generally, don't they? They do, um, but moving outside of your comfort zone is a hugely learning experience. Mm. And that week I put that video up, boy, did I learn that. (laughs) (laughs) Because I swear I cried all week. I was in bits. I just, it's really difficult and really uncomfortable. Oh, it woke lots of, it's not not as in self-pity, but it woke Mm. lots of memories that I think has, I think women will understand that you sidestep, you sidestep the the man that pops his hand on your knee or puts his hand in the small of your back as you enter a meeting room or makes a snide comment about your skirt or top or whatever it is. We we kind of learned to live with it. And it's only when it's pointed out and it was so intense that week that you go, oh my God, that happened to me. Mm. That happened to, it's almost like you you kind of understand that you fought so hard that you've ignored things around you that it's been unfair and unjust and then it hits you. Mm. <laughs> so, so I would say it's quite difficult. And, and it brings you to a really good point about uncomfortableness, which is, you know, we're in really challenging, uncomfortable times already. You know, um, resilience is a thing we need as leaders and our leadership team needs to learn how to be uncomfortable because... I suspect this roller coaster we're on at the moment, whether it's the pandemic or Black Lives Matter or any of the horrible and torrid things that are going on in our life at lives at the moment, 
I think uncomfortableness is going to be a thing for the next 10 years. So, you know, man, woman up, man up, whatever it is, person up, <laughs> get on with it. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can totally hear what you're saying. And I did think your post was incredibly brave, actually. What more can we, what more can we do, right? As your, as trade publications and trade bodies, and we've published our own diversity data in terms of event panelists, uh, we know we could do a lot better. We've set our commitments for the, for the year, year ahead. What can the, those kind of support bodies for the, for the marketing and PR industry do to help to move racial equity forward, do you think? Um, I think there's two things, one which you alluded to, which is holding agencies accountable by publishing league tables. I don't know if it's as basic as that. Um, uh, making sure that those promises that are made in various letters and, and PR uh, and press releases are actually held accountable. And I think that for publications, that's one way forward. Obviously, creating a diverse mix is another. Mm. But the second for trade bodies is about looking at how, because it, bringing more people of colour into um, the agency world is not just about going, oh, you've got you know, slight tan. <laughs> that's, that's not enough. It's not enough. It, and the reason is that, and it's really hard to explain this to other people because, because the vast majority of people of colour are from a different culture or a different socioeconomic background, which means that they already start with lower advantages. Mm. Um, and I was talking in a business group about this um, where they were saying, well, there's a threshold to join the membership um, of this association. Um, you have to have a turnover of this. And I'm trying to explain that most people of colour cannot get bank loans and cannot are not offered the same VC that those that are not of colour. So they're already starting at a disadvantage, which means that they're often slightly more mature, but, but with a lower turnover. And that's just because it is so challenging for them to get where they need to get to. Um, and that, that bit about equity, not equality is a really important. I think the trade associations could do quite a lot to help encourage those that maybe don't come from Oxbridge or maybe aren't, you know, haven't gone to grammar school, haven't done, you know, all the usual stuff that we hear. And I know it's, um, it's plastering prejudice the other way, but, but looking at other angles, um, and there have been programs, um, um, Nicole Yershon, who used to be at um, Ogilvy has her Rough Diamonds program, which is now, since Ogilvy have dropped it, is, is running in a, um, uh, autonomously. Mm. But, but she needs support like crazy because that is about bringing youngsters from 14 and 15 through the systems that, mean, that don't necessarily mean they walk away with a degree, but maybe they walk away absolutely brilliant for your creative studio or your account management team or blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just, it's looking at the at life a little bit differently. Yeah. It's, there was a lovely comment that I read the other day, and I'm so sorry to the, to the, to the person who said this, because I can't remember who it is, who said, for most of you, you have come home and done your homework with your mum while she helped you do your reading and spelling. For most of us, we've come home and translated the immigration forms for our parents. 
Wow. And I think if you, once you suddenly, it brings you out goosebumps thinking mm. about it that way, because you suddenly realise that they're, the world of most people of colour is not the same. It might look the same on the outside. It might look like we all eat, you know, chocolate bars and go down the pub, but actually the background is not the same. And that, that has to be understood in the recruitment process. Mm. Um, the past few weeks have been pretty intense, Katie, by the sounds of things. What would be your, you know, final message? I don't want to put you on the spot, but to white agency bosses about the support their black and ethnic minority employees and, and colleagues need right now? Oh, I have loads of hope. Uh, <laughs> I have loads of hope. I do. <laughs> I have loads of hope because, uh, because we are also an industry that embraces change. We might be, you know, we might be a bit grumpy about it occasionally, but, but we're good at this. We're good at rocketing. I mean, good Lord. I mean, how many PRs have dealt with crisis? How many people have lived through the last recession? We, mm. We're good at this stuff. It's about accepting where we are and saying, how can I move this forward? And I, I think it will happen. I, I would like it to happen quickly because I'm old. <laughs> so I'm you must to happen stop saying that. You've got to stop saying that. There's that point where you go, oh, please don't make me wait 20 years because I'll, you know, I'll have to roam about with a Zimmer frame. You know, it's like, please don't make me wait too long. And so it's really important to me that, that the momentum isn't lost. And that's why I think I'm being so demanding at the moment. Saying, well, what are you doing that's different? Because we've got to change this quickly now. There isn't time. It's gone on too long. We've got to change it and balance up pay pay for women we've got to change things and move things fast mm. for our survival but i do i do believe that you know the pr and marketing industry is quite capable of doing this and i do hope i've yeah. been really you know i've really been warmed by the by the feeling that um that people are willing to open their minds to this um which is much better than the usual denial stuff so you know yeah. it's impressive it does feel like something shifted don't you think yes it does mm. um okay instruction to agencies move fast and break things <laughs> we'll hold them to their promises katie i can promise Good. you that um uh, the ever youthful katie howell not not in any way old in her prime i would say and on fire thank you so much for your time and your openness and honesty and frankness today um, I really appreciate it and it's been really great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Marketeers.